This episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast is brought to you by PowerTap. PowerTap is part of the Saris family of brands carrying on the commitment to American manufacturing and assembly. From pedals to chainring to hubs and wheels, PowerTap has a power meter for every type of athlete. PowerTap is the only power meter brand to have the full portfolio of power meters, including the P1S single-sided pedals. And PowerTap has a giveaway for listeners of this podcast. Head over to swimbikemom.com forward slash giveaway. We are giving away a set of P1S single-sided PowerTap pedals. Check out PowerTap online and on social media and enjoy the show. This episode is one of my favorites for a bunch of reasons. I have an interview with three lovely ladies. Michelle Ray, Leslie Hoagland, and Dory Newton are moms to kiddos with Down syndrome. This episode is really fantastic in many ways. I felt like I learned so much about their kids, about individuals with Down syndrome, and about the new campaign with NDSS called Law Syndrome. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And also take this opportunity to share this episode. I feel that this episode is extremely valuable from an educational standpoint about individuals with Down syndrome. So do us a favor, rate and review and subscribe on iTunes and share this one. It's a really great one. So thanks for listening. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes all of the difference in our health, our happiness, and our success. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I have a great show for you today. I have three amazing ladies who are going to talk with me about some very cool stuff. So first up, I have Michelle Ray. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Meredith. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. They're paving the road outside my house and it's quiet right now. So we're good. Good. (laughs) We're good for the moment. But if you hear dump trucks, that's just, you know, we'll just keep going. That's right. (laughs) So Michelle, tell me a little bit about who you are and what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Absolutely. So um, as you said, my name is Michelle Ray and I am a mom of four. Um, I live in Wilmington, Delaware, and I have four small children, um, ages six to just now became a teenager, 13. Wow. Um, and I also have a child uh, with Down syndrome. So part of the mix of four is a child with Down syndrome. And in my day job, I work for the National Down Syndrome Society as the director of National Inclusive Health and Sports, which is a mouthful But um, my role at NDSS is really to, um, it's about our big initiative of health and fitness and as it it relates to individuals with Down syndrome, as well as their families and the community. And in my free time, I (laughs) am an endurance runner and love to get involved in triathlons. Okay. Free time. That's so funny, isn't it? That's right. It really is. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about your family and your, your child with down syndrome and where he or she falls in the rank of the four and, and kind of how you got involved with NDSS. Sure. Absolutely. So I, um, so of the four kids, I have two boys and two girls. My son, Matthew is 11 
Um, and he's the second child. Um, and we received a postnatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. So we did not know he had Down syndrome until after he was born. And I would say, you know, just like a lot of people who have a lot of parents who have a child who receives a diagnosis either before um, delivery or afterwards, you know, after that initial shock and kind of the emotions wear off, um, you know, you then say, okay, what am I going to do in my life? My life has a new purpose. And so for me and my husband, it was about getting involved in the downstream community very quickly. So we happened to live in the Washington, D.C. area when Matthew was born. And we took it upon ourselves to um, become advocates from day one. So we um, joined the National Down Syndrome Society as well as our local Down Syndrome organization. And we did a lot, lot of public policy work over the years. And my kind of career background is corporate America. Um, I was a vice president of HR and as the years went on and my, um, my passion was really about um, running and health and fitness, and I kind of got bit by the triathlon bug along <laughs> the way, um, I, you, you, it kind of shifted and I kind of then started focusing more on um, kind of health and wellness as more of a career. And that's when I joined the National Down Syndrome Society. But I got um, that kind of triathlon bug um, happened to me about five years ago after my last child was born. I started off with just a sprint in my local community, and I was a swimmer growing up all the way to college. And so the swimming came very naturally. Um, the running did too, but the bike, I basically had to teach myself how to ride a bike, and definitely <laughs> a road bike. Um, so I did a couple of triathlons and then unfortunately I got sidelined with, um, a major hip injury and en ended up having two hip surgeries, one very long and extensive and was told, you know, I probably wouldn't run or, you know, kind of follow my dreams of doing an Ironman one day, but, um, met a surgeon in DC who, um, you know, really kind of rehabbed me and recovered me. Um, and so I set out to do my first half Ironman. It was actually almost, uh, it was this time last year uh, when I did my first one and really my inspiration behind doing that half Ironman and really now just running in general and doing endurance and sports. My inspiration is my son, Matthew, who has Down syndrome. And I also do it for the Down syndrome community. Very so cool. I really have turned more into kind of, uh, um, I don't chase PRs anymore and I don't chase, um, you're doing something to get self-fulfillment. For me, it's all about doing that event and race either with somebody with Down syndrome or for them. Oh, very um, cool. Very yeah. Cool. So it's just brought on a whole new meaning for me. Yeah. I, I kind of know what you mean. I mean, I did the whole me, 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 Ironman triathlon is for me. And this last year, I just couldn't get motivated to do anything for myself, right? <laughs> at least for like the end goal, you know? And so it, it really does make a big difference from a motivation standpoint to have a bigger cause and a, and a bigger purpose. So it really does. I know. And then I, I get to meet you next week, um, in, at Marine Corps, which is I exciting, know, which is terrible. Yeah. I'm terrified. Like why <laughs> oh, you're am gonna I do great. So terrified of a marathon? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, because it's well, 26.2 miles. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> and I can tell you just in the sense of, um, you know, being in the downstream community, which, um, you know, it, I often say that you, if you're a parent of a child with downstream, most of the time you don't ask to be a part of the downstream community unless you fulfill that through adoption or other means. Um, so oftentimes you're just given the ticket, right? And once you get into that community, 
it truly is amazing. And so we have an athlete ambassador team at NDSS and some, we do some charity racing, but it was 11 weeks ago, Marine Corps marathon offered us 20 slots and which was great. And we were able to fill all 20 slots in 11 weeks. Um, and so I swore I would, not do any races this year. I was going to focus on other things and sure enough, I signed up for Marine Corps. So I will be there. Oh, good, good. I didn't realize you were running. So very good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask this question and I'm, I want to do it (laughs) in a politically correct way, but I'm stupid sometimes. So if it's not, (laughs) no, just ask. No, the intention is good. Okay. So what do we know? What do, what can you tell us about down syndrome individuals and children that maybe the general public doesn't know? Does that make any sense? No, it does. Absolutely. And no question is, you know, I, we take all questions and I think we've all lived it and have answered or asked these questions ourselves. And I will tell you that my son is now 11 but my son was the first person with Down syndrome I've ever met in my life. And I was 30 when he was born. Okay. Um, I had never truly like really met somebody with Down syndrome. Certainly I saw them, you know, in the community, um, but never knew somebody one-on-one. Um, so it was just kind of like a, you know, crash by, you know, I just had to learn it from the very beginning. But I would say, you know, people with Down syndrome are just like you and I. Um, the really, the only difference of people with Down syndrome is they have an extra chromosome. So they generally, there's, you know, different types of Down syndrome, but most people with Down syndrome do have three copies of the 21st chromosome and it just makes them a little different and a little unique, but just like all of us. Um, but where we are in terms of technology and advancements and early intervention, you know, most kids with Down syndrome, they are you know living and working and being educated in their community, in their school system. My son goes to our local elementary school. He's in fifth grade. He's in general education. Um, now, is he doing fifth grade work? Um, he's doing the fifth grade work that he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not the fifth grade work that his friends can do, but I could say the same thing about some of my, you know, maybe three of my other kids as well. They kind of all do things in their own time. But I believe, you know, I think that it's really society who will often put kind of limitations and barriers on people with Down syndrome, but you give them the opportunity, you give them the resources and the support they need, they truly can do anything. And I'll give you an example as part of my job, which I say, I mean, every day I wake up and I think, you know, I really do have an amazing job in terms of what I do. Um, But this summer I had the opportunity to go to uh, Jackson, Wyoming. Um, and I went with a few coworkers from NDSS and we were there to be, um, kind of a support and boots on the ground for a young man with Down syndrome, 32 years old who climbed the Grand Teton. No other person with Down syndrome has ever climbed. And when I say climbed the Grand, Grand Teton, he actually summited the Grand Teton, which is almost, you know, over 13,000 feet. It takes the average person two to three days, and he was able to do this in 12 hours. Wow. Yes. And this is a young man who maybe not necessarily was, um, you know, um, included in, you know, inclusive education. Maybe he wasn't in general ed. You know, he doesn't, didn't have a job at the time. Um, two years ago, his sister and brother-in-law would tell you that he was very unhealthy and, um, overweight and, you know, really you wasn't part of kind of community living and they really focused on his health, his fitness and nutrition. And within two years, 
he became the first person with Down syndrome to climb the Grand Teton ever. So, you know, I, and I just remember being there and somebody did ask me that question about, you know, what does this mean for the Down syndrome community and really the disability community? And when we talk about like kind of intellectual disabilities, I think it's just a testament to people truly, including people with Down syndrome, really can do anything if they put their, their mind to it, their heart in it, and they have the support. So there are some actual limitations with individuals with Down syndrome, but you're saying like with the proper support and, and community, the limitations are more perceived than actual? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like at NDSS, we have, we're a nationwide organization. Um, we're the leading human rights organization for individuals with Down syndrome and really work on a national level. Um, and we have a staff of 23 of our staff have Down syndrome. Um, and we have one gentleman in our New York City office who is nonverbal um, and uh, uses a communication device. And with proper support, um, with job coaching, proper support, he is able to do his job. In fact, he traveled with us out West this summer by himself without his parents, um, sat on a panel in front of thousands of people talking about, you know, employment for people with Down syndrome, as well as kind of health and fitness, because he's a avid hiker and loves the outdoors. Um, and he was able to do this through support and through his communication device. Wow. So are some of the challenges associated with Down syndrome because of the identifiable sort of disability? I mean, is that one of the main challenges? Because Yeah, I would think so. And I don't want to sugarcoat anything because everybody, every person with Down syndrome is different. Um, again, just like we are all different. You know, we all, my husband and I often say our oldest child who's just turned 13 is more difficult than our kids <laughs> with Down syndrome. Right. But, I mean, but people with Down syndrome do... It, it, Across the board, generally, they're, they have lower muscle tone. Um, they often have heart conditions, which with technology, it's, they're much more repairable um, than you know, previously when you couldn't pick up on those things um, ahead of time. Um, they often have um, you know, delayed speech or delayed fine, um, fine motor or gen, uh, gross motor skills. Um, but with early intervention, with inclusive education and those proper supports, um, they truly can do very similar things that you and I can do. So what kind of programs or um, sort of inclusive measures have you seen that NDSS has kind of spearhead? Sure. So, um, so NDSS, we are almost 40 years old. Um, we, um, we're flagships out of New York City and was started by a family in New York City 40 years ago when there really wasn't support in the Down syndrome community. Um, and we're now co-headquartered in both D.C. and in New York. And our mission of being the leading human rights organization, we do a lot of work when it comes to public policy and advocacy. So we have a whole team that does a lot of legislation work in terms of, you know, kind of really impacting laws for not only people with Down syndrome, but intellectual disabilities and really, truly other disabilities as well um, when it comes to changing laws, making new laws, um, et cetera. We also own the um, are part of the largest peer-to-peer fundraising program for the Down syndrome community across the country. Uh, we own the Buddy Walk program, which many people have probably heard of. We have 250 Buddy Walks um, across the country and internationally. And those the funds raised from that program, which is over $14 million a year, go back to local communities to help 
in terms of programs and events, um, early intervention, employment and community opportunities for um, people living with Down syndrome. So what, what is the Buddy Walk program? So the Buddy Walk program is a peer-to-peer fundraising program, um, and it's held at, you know, a local level. So, for example, there's um, Atlanta was supposed to have theirs last weekend, but unfortunately got um, canceled because of the rain. But it's an awareness and it's an advocacy event where the community comes together. And generally, it's a it can be anywhere from a one-mile walk to a 5K run. Um, okay. And it's really kind of a, an awareness event for um, the downstream community. Very cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about law syndrome. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited to talk about law syndrome, especially because it's a it's a new, very um, we just launched this program um, or this public awareness event last Tuesday on Capitol Hill when we brought two hundred leaders from across the country. And when I say leaders, these are really advocates and parents and uh, adults with Down syndrome across the nation. We brought them to Washington D.C. Um, and we launched Law Syndrome. And what law syndrome is, um, it's really about the realization that people with Down syndrome, they want to go to college, they want careers, um, they want to be taxpayers, they want to get married, and they want to live full, meaningful lives just like you and I do. Um, but down, but um, people with Down syndrome, they're also they're often disincentivized to do these things um, because of the fear of losing life-saving benefits like Medicaid and healthcare. Um, through you know, state benefits they generally have uh, as living um, as they live uh, as a person with a disability. So law syndrome is about really kind of these outdated, antiquated laws that are out there that are really holding people with not only Down syndrome, but intellectual disabilities and truthfully disabilities back. It's holding them back from you know, having meaningful employment, from getting married, from living and working independently in the community, because um, we know people with Down syndrome and people with intellectual disabilities, they often live well below poverty. And this is because of these laws that are out there that need to be changed. So what are some of the examples of, of some laws? Sure. So examples of laws are you know, people with um, Down syndrome um, and other disabilities, they are limited in terms of the amount of money that they can make. And when I say limited, it truly is below poverty of what they can make. But if they make too much money, um, and really, if it, I mean, the amount of money is not large, but if they make too much money, then they risk or do lose their benefits, such as um, Medicaid or health insurance or um, through their state benefits, they can receive um, job coaching um, opportunities or um, help to kind of live independently. So maybe they're living in a group home or maybe they have an attendant, an attendant because they live independently. Um, and we want people with Down syndrome you know, to be able to have a life like you and I where we can live and work in the community. But they often can't do that if they can't make money in a job without losing the benefits that keep them there. So they're, they're an individual who has complications and, and health issues above and beyond the average person. And then the laws are actually asking them to choose between making, having gainful employment and, and having health benefits when they're already overcomplicated by their conditions. <laughs> Yeah, or you know, or asking them to choose to not have a job and sit at home, right? And just get paid, you know, through their maybe through SSI, through you know Social Security or their disability waiver, 
instead of going and getting a job and being, you know, a contributing member to the community. Right. Wow. Um, so where can people go to learn more about this campaign and what you guys are trying to do? Yeah. So, um, they can go to law syndrome, dot org and or they can text law syndrome at five two eight eight six information. Very good. So tell us a little bit about Matthew and what kind of kiddo he is and what he likes and what he doesn't like and and how he's just like every other eleven just year like old. Everybody, right? I can tell you he's just like every fifth grader because he came home a couple weeks ago and he's like, I want to play the drums. And I was like, absolutely oh, no. not. <laughs> no, I told you no. And he was persistent. Every day he came up, came home and he was like, drums, drums. And we finally, you know, caved and we gave into drums. And I'm thinking these drums are going to last like maybe a day. But um, he's come home every day and he's practiced those drums. But, you know, Matthew is, he's his own person, just like my other kids. Um, he is a technology whiz, 11 years old. He knows more about technology than mom ever will. Um, I'm trying to get him to follow my footsteps a little bit. He loves to do Spartan races. Um, Spartan races is one of his favorite things. Um, loves ice hockey, wants to play ice hockey. So we have signed him up with a local team. He swims. So, um, you know, he, he has his moments, you know, just like my other kids, but he truly does. He opens my eyes to kind of acceptance, awareness, um, patience, and just kind of living my life in a different way than I was living my life 11 years ago. Have you found that after Matthew was born, that it made you, that his, his birth and you know the, the challenges that you knew were coming kind of made you slow down and appreciate things a little bit more? Um, I don't, yeah, yes and no. Um, I think if you ask anyone who knows me, they would say I didn't slow down. In fact, <laughs> probably still to take on way too much, but I, um, definitely appreciate things more. And I, again, as a person who had never really been around um, people with Down syndrome, I now work on a team and I have team members who, you know, coworkers who have Down syndrome. I travel the country and am fortunate, fortunate to travel the country and to do events and to be involved. And, and really in the work that I do for NDSS, we say that we don't do Uh, many events without people with Down syndrome. So for example, we have a charity racing team that's going to Disney to do the uh, Walt Disney World marathon races. And we will have three people with Down syndrome running with us. Um, We we try to incorporate um, people with Down syndrome in everything that we do. On our athlete ambassador team, we have a young lady out of Texas who was the first person with Down syndrome um, to run the Austin half marathon. And she was just featured in Women's Running Magazine. I know that I would never be featured in Women's Running Magazine, <laughs> but the fact is she's right there and just doing uh, truly amazing things. And, and I know that you're, you're speaking to both Dory and Leslie, and I can tell you that um, being in this community has really expanded our family's network and relationships. I met Leslie and Dory through triathlons. Um, in fact, our athlete ambassador team, we have, about 50 to 60 of the hundred people on it who are runners and triathletes. And, and I met them through, not just because I have a kid with Down syndrome, but through my love of running, um, and triathlons just today, I will tell you, Meredith, that I was in a meeting, um, talking about one of our big events that we're getting ready to launch. And I got a Facebook message from our local tri club. And it's the gentleman who coaches the local tri club. And he reached out to me and he said, my 
daughter just got a prenatal diagnosis. Would you be willing to speak with her? And it's messages like that, that I'm like, you know, we were connected through triathlons and running. And now hopefully I can help this family and really make a difference for the journey they're about to embark on. I love that. And, you know, so many people hate social media and claim they hate social media, but I always look at the amazing ways that it connects people. And, you know, by being able to stand up and say, Hey, here's my story. And then a million people will raise their hand and say, me too. I love that. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing. And, and I love that triathlon brings people together. I know it's so fun <laughs> and running. So we'll get to, running. so finally, like I am a member of the best tri club ever, yes. um, but I will say that I'm the worst member <laughs> of the club, but, um, cause I haven't been very active, but I promise that'll change. And I'm so excited to get to finally meet you after following you for years, get to meet you next Sunday. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. So come up, come up to me and slap me on the head and say, Hey, Michelle, I'm the, I'm the Michelle we talked last week. (laughs) That's right. Well, you'll see us, you'll uh, team NDSS. We will be there. We have about 25 runners running. And so, um, hopefully you'll see also a few people with down syndrome in the crowd who are cheering us on. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for taking time out of your very busy day. And I look forward to seeing you in, gosh, what, 10 days, nine days? Yeah, like yeah. nine days. Yes. Thank very you, Meredith. Cool. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all you do to help us spread um, our mission and the work that we're doing. Absolutely. Thanks, lady. All right. Talk to you soon. Hi, Meredith. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I'm super excited to talk to you because you have got quite a story and quite a large family. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about your, your five children and, and the family yeah. dynamic and, and how two of them are very special. Awesome. Yeah. So I have five kids. I have three biological and two adopted. Um, they are now ages four. 14, about to be 13, 12, 11, and three. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it's quite a household, uh, but they're amazing kids. Um, And our two children that are adopted both have Down syndrome and they were adopted from Hong Kong. Okay. So at what age did you adopt them? The kid's age, not your age. Yeah, Yeah, so Jason was 21 months old when uh, she came home in 2006, and then five years later, 2011, Joel came home, and he was one week shy of his sixth birthday, so a little bit older. Okay, so where are they in the, I guess, the birth order? Yeah. (laughs) So Jasmine uh, will be 13, oh my goodness, on Monday, um, or this coming Monday, and then uh, Joel is 12. Okay. So you have one oldest and then Jasmine and Joel and then the other. Yes. Okay. Got it. Very cool. You got it. Okay. So how did, how did you decide to to adopt and and how, how has that changed your family dynamic and what are the challenge? I just have so many questions. Tell me all the things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I guess to start out with um, my husband and I, after the birth of our son, Quentin um, experienced some secondary infertility and um, both my parents and his parents had um, taken in our, our cousins um, and helped to provide home, a home for them. And um, I guess through their example, we were when we first met and started dating, we had talked about adoption. We had talked about, you know, um, having a lot of kids and because um, we both come from families with a lot of children. 
Um, and so we just felt led to pursue adoption in that moment. So we started the process in 2005. And when we sat down with the adoption agency, uh, they said, well, are you open to children with special needs? And um, my husband, Todd, his sister, Jacqueline, has Down syndrome. And, and he was like, well, and he also himself is a special education teacher. So he's like, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't we? Um, and so we then were presented with some some options, some files of little girls who are waiting. And we just fell in love with Jasmine. Um, and uh, she, you know, her having Down syndrome wasn't scary to us. Um, it was actually very exciting, um, especially for Todd, my sister-in-law, Jacqueline, who, in her words, someone like her in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, of course, was elated. And then um, in the adoption process, I became pregnant, um, unbelievably, how that happens. And so Jasmine came home, uh, like I said, in 2006. Three weeks later, I had Elise. Oh, my goodness. Although that they are 21 months apart, developmentally, they have grown up together, walked together, potty trained together, done everything together. Right. So they've been really great friends um, so far. And then Joel, um, well, Jasmine was doing so well, um, in 2010, um, our adoption agency was looking for placement for him. And because she was doing so well, they asked us to consider his adoption and, um, it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, and so we moved forward with him and he came home to the 2011 and then, <laughs> um, about seven years later, uh, 2014, um, our little miles and his name, it has a meaning related to triathlon. <laughs> um, because I, w- I did, um, Ironman 70.3 rally in 2013 and was pregnant and didn't know it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's so, funny. Miles. I love it. Yes. So what have been some of the challenges, um, with raising two special needs children? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think on a daily level, there's multiple challenges from you just motivating them to get out of bed, to get dressed, to get breakfast, to get out the door for school, to bigger challenges like with the school system and what kind of IEPs are good for them and their placement and the services and, and accommodations that they receive. Um, you know, we really think whole child, my husband and I, and, um, you know, a lot of schools, they look at resources. Um, it helps to have a husband who's a special ed teacher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I was going to say. know both sides of it, but, um, you know, we, on a daily basis, um, you know, we're there to shape and mold their development and have the same high expectations as we do for all of our kids. So one of the things we talked about, Michelle and I, um, before you and I talked was about how Down's children are essentially, the only difference is they, they just need more resources and they need more maybe time, but that as a whole, they're really just a little, they just need the resources. And so like, has that been your sort of impression going through the school system that, um, if, if your children are given the right resources that they, you know, where, where do you fall in line with all of that? Absolutely. No, I would, I would concur with Michelle for sure. Um, you know, it, we have, been fortunate that Jasmine and Joel have been in their regular education classrooms since kindergarten. 
Uh, we believe in inclusion and inclusive education. Uh, they need to see what their typical peers are doing and how they're growing and developing. And so we have really been adamant about that. And um, she's right. You know, they take a little bit more time to my, to master a skill or to learn some piece of information. But once they got it, they got it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a confidence there and they know where they can go in life. They know what they can do to use that information. Well, one of the things we talked about, too, was how I sort of asked her the question, what are some of the perceptions or things that, you know, the average person doesn't really know about someone with Down syndrome? And, I, you know, I've, I've run into a few people, but I've never had like a relationship or a friendship with anyone with Down syndrome. And, and so I just didn't know, like, some of the actual limitations versus perceived limitations. And I thought that was really interesting that you know, they really are the same. And I know that's, and I don't mean for that to sound, you know, dumb or non-politically correct, but, you know, you hear that. But to to say, no, they just literally go through school in the same grade. They just need some more time. And I mean, that's, that's wonderful information. Well, so it's like with any disability or with any medical condition, once you've met one person with it, you've met one person with it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's experience is different. And, you know, that's, that's the part I think that I know as a parent, um, having chosen to adopt children with, with Down syndrome, I wouldn't say frustrates me, but it makes me sad for people that they don't get to know um, people because they have those preconceived notions. Right. Um, you know, we try to tell our friends and family, hey, presume competence, presume they can do uh, what you need them to do. And then if they need support or they need help or they need better guidance or instructions, we can do that. Um, but lead with the thought that they can do for themselves just like any child. Oh, I like that. So how has sport, running, triathlon, how has that played a role in, in your family and your relationship with Jasmine and Joel? Oh, I think it's probably been the thing that binds us together. Um, when I, when Joel first came home, he had a very hard time. He had a very traumatic childhood. Um, that now was how old was he when he was, he was yeah, he was almost six years old. Oh, six. Okay. That's right. Right. And he came home to Western culture, American family, right into kindergarten. It was a lot. Wow. And, um, I would just take him out in a jogger and I, we would, I was just pushed and he would either fall asleep or we would talk, but it really was like, what? helped us to attach and help us to build our relationship together. And even till this day, he asks, you know, come on, mom, let's go running. But he wants to do the running now, which is cool. (laughs) Does he push you? Can you get a break? I wish. (laughs) Your turn, buddy, your turn. (laughs) But it really, it really helped us solidify a relationship um, as, as mother and son um, where, you know, there was a lot of unspoken things that happened while we were out running. Um, we would stop and look at birds or we would stop and look at the traffic or we would, you know, I'd, I'd get him to start noticing things, which kind of helped him pull back from, um, some of his, his traumatic memories, um, that would be triggered with, you know, the slightest thing. Now I am so dumb sometimes, but he came from Hong Kong. Like, yes. Did, did he speak English? Like he, he had been attending a British preschool, so okay. he was, um, he, he did know English, um, although his communication skills have grown tremendously um, since, um, you know, coming home. Um, he's a prolific reader and writer. I don't think, you know, I think his English teacher loves that. <laughs> uh, so um, he has just absorbed the English language and he, that's probably his greatest skill. That's awesome. So Jasmine is, you said 12? 
Yes, about to be the terrible 13. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask 13. you. Like, you said, you know, you have that some of your challenges are getting them up in the morning. And I'm like, yes, that sounds like every other kid. But so what are the sort of preteen challenges? Yeah. So <laughs> fighting over clothes, <laughs> fighting over makeup, fighting over wow. all those kinds of things um, are completely typical um, you know, eye rolling and the talking back, you know, all those fun things. Oh my God. Um, but I'm, I'm not just ready, glad. Leslie. I can't handle teenage years. I'm not going to make it. Tell me I'm going to make it. If you, you can make it, it, I can make it. <laughs> yes, you can make it. Um, but no, that just tells me that she's very confident in who she is and that she definitely has um, her ideas about what, who she wants to be. I love it. So t- talk <laughs> to me a little bit about law syndrome and what that means to you. Absolutely. Um, So I recently got involved with the National Down Syndrome Society and this law syndrome campaign, um, primarily because Jasmine uh, and Joel both have very strong passions for what they want to be when they grow up. And Jasmine, uh, however ironic, has alopecia, which is genetic baldness. Uh, It is a complication of having trisomy 21, um, that extra chromosome. Um, And so she has no hair. And she wants to be a hairstylist when she grows up. And I love that about her because she wants to make other people feel beautiful. Um, and, you know, I, I want that to be a reality for her. So where, you know, how do we support her as a parent, you know, to be trained in cosmetology and to to find places that will let her, you know, get her, you know, get some experience by just hair washing or, you know, something along those lines. I think about that. I mean, she's going to be 13, but I think about that daily and helping her realize those dreams. She also loves kids. So, you know, perhaps being in childcare or working in a preschool someday, you know, is definitely something I can see her doing and doing very well and independently. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of, you know, um, at this age, preteen age, sort of those professional opportunities to, to shape them into having a job and a career. Um, when we first brought her home, um, I was, you know, kind of said, oh, well, you need to go to Social Security and get her on SSI and Medicaid and all these, you know, things. And, and for many families, that is absolutely what needs to happen. But with Jasmine, it was, we felt different. And we knew that there was um, a cognitive ability there that she could be really molded and, and, and guided into what she, whatever she wanted to be in life. Um, and so that's the path that we've chosen. Um, same with Joel. He, lo- like I said, he loves books. So he would love to work in like a Barnes and Noble or a library or something to do with books. Um, and helping people find their stories and find their books. I loved working in a bookstore. I worked at a bookstore. It was like my second job, best job ever. I keep thinking, yeah. like, can I just go back to the bookstore? <laughs> right? <laughs> Simple awesome. taste. He has good taste. <laughs> what do you want to read? Yeah, I mean, I, he would fit in so well. So, so um, yeah. do a lot so of... We need- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, so with law syndrome, you know, when they get to that transition age from, from childhood to adulthood, I want the laws to be different. I want the laws to change so that they don't have to choose with, well, I can't make money having a sustainable job and maybe getting some benefits for health insurance like any other adult, you know, Mm -hmm. or do I need to move into this SSI category and Medicaid because they're, they're together, they're not separate and, you know, jeopardize my dreams. Um, I don't want that to be their reality. I want to change these laws for them. So explain, and Michelle uh, told us a little bit, but explain your perception, like just to someone when you're trying to explain, okay, 
a person with Down syndrome has to choose between having like gainful employment and having a career or they have to choose between doing nothing and working at the poverty level. Is that pretty much the choices right now? It is because, you know, there's a maximum um, if you receive SSI, which is coupled with your Medicaid health insurance. So if you receive an income above basically the federal poverty level, then your benefits get cut. So there's not an incentive um, to um, to work. There's not an incentive to find gainful employment, competitive employment, you know, with like any other person. Um, Well, and also with the way healthcare is, I mean... The, the benefits are not great for people who have jobs and have insurance through their employers. So it, right. it's really like doubly because the SSI and the Medicaid is going to really cover basically all the, all their health needs. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we would just like to see those things, Medicaid and SSI decoupled or um, split. Um, so that that did that doesn't need to be the case for people. They can still um, get health insurance, but they also have gainful employment. Um, and, and it's also about changing workplace culture too. Um, you know, and getting businesses and um, government and and organizations and agencies to see, hey, where do I have a need that you know I can be open to people with disabilities and and bringing them on board to do specific jobs. Um, you know, I think in this day and age, we're seeing. Um, people with Down syndrome and other disabilities live very long lives. Um, it's not it's like the lifespan has greatly in, uh, increased. Um, and so we we want to think more longer term um, for them. So how can someone get involved um, besides hooking up with NDSS? But like, what are some of the, the ways that sort of grassroots ways that people can get involved with, with the Law Syndrome campaign? Well, I, I think first and foremost, reaching out to their um, set congressional senators and representatives, um, sending them a, a, an email or making a phone call to their um, staff and just say, hey, we support this. Um, you know, we want to see more equitable uh, employment opportunities um, for people with disabilities, especially those with Down syndrome um, who can and want to do for themselves. Um, I think that's, you know, grassroots, that's really the first step. Um, but then otherwise, you know, be, be inclusive in what you do. Um, you know, encourage inclusive sports. You know, if you're in a running club, if you're in a tri club, you know, ask people that have disabilities to come on board and train with you. They would love that invitation. Um, and they thrive on, you know, these kinds of experiences. Um, that, and, you know, that's something just at a very local level that somebody could consider. Very cool. So what is something that you do in your 24 hours, like on a daily basis that, that kind of helps move your family along toward this better health and happiness. <laughs> the thing we're all searching for, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, well, so we have uh, a lot of family meetings. Um, oh, so what's a family meeting like? We So typically it's at dinner. That's something that we have really uh, prioritized for us is no matter the time, it might be like 830 at night, but we are sitting around the table eating dinner together and we have like a family meeting and we kind of talk about you know, what's going on on our calendar, what's coming up, who needs to do what, if somebody is missing homework, you know, there's this, a, it's an opportunity to talk about issues and problems and how we might work together to solve them. Um, and that's been hugely helpful for especially Jasmine and Joel, because um, they feel supported by their siblings. I feel like that's a Seinfeld episode, though. Do you have like the airing of grievances? <laughs> yes, not so much as, you know, <laughs> Festivus, right? But yeah, 
<laughs> sometimes, you know, we, I am raising confident kids. I can say that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for taking time to, to speak with us. And I uh, can't wait to follow you and your journey and, and keep up with the kiddos. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I can't wait to see you at Marine Corps. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you are here, and I'm excited to talk about you and your family and your your daughter and, and triathlon and all the things. So let's talk a little bit about your daughter. Yeah, so um, Isla is eight. Uh, she was born with Down syndrome. We did not have a prenatal diagnosis, so her birth kind of spiraled our lives out of control for a little while. Um but yeah, she's eight, and we're very active in the Down syndrome community and Special Olympics, which we're really enjoying. So um, is she your only child? No, actually, I have a, um, a six-year-old also who has a little bit of special needs also. He, he was just diagnosed with ADD. Um, he's got a couple sensory things going on, but, uh, you know, is any child typical, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what is a typical child at this point? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So tell me a little bit about the postnatal diagnosis. You said that that was, you, it yeah. was tough. So yeah. how old were you when, is it Isla? Yes. Isla. Isla. How, how old were you when she was born? I was 30 when she was born. Okay. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I didn't have a prenatal diagnosis. Right. I wasn't considered high risk. So the doctors didn't really know to do all the special tests and neither did I, because I never, you never think that something like this is going to happen to you. But, um, yeah, we found out in the delivery room and it was very, uh, it was, uh, very traumatic. She was blue. She wasn't moving. We found out right at the delivery table and it was very hush hush. They were whispering. And oh geez. Really? I still have issues today when I hear people whispering, I'm like, what, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was a little traumatic. Um, but we got through it, you know, uh, we had a great support system with our family and our friends. Um, we reached out to early intervention ASAP and we got her some therapy, OTPT and speech therapy. We had some feeding therapy. Luckily, she didn't have any, um, you know, big issues when she was born, so she didn't need surgery. She's uh, she's actually like very, very healthy um, for a person with Down syndrome. So and she's very, very, very adorable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she really is. You can just like see her personality on yeah, Instagram. It's all because of the pink glasses, I think. Yeah. So what is, what is her personality? What's she like? Uh, she's very outgoing. That's always been her strength. Um, she's very social. Um, she's always been very verbal. So you can have a conversation with her. Um, you may not understand exactly everything she's saying, but she's just, she's very social. She makes friends very easily. She loves dance, loves to dance, loves music. Um, she's just like any other eight year old little girl. So, <laughs> so what have been some of the challenges that you guys have experienced as far as education and maybe socialization and just what are some of the things that you've, you've gone through? Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things that we have struggled with is 
change, not changing the perception, but like educating people about people with Down syndrome and that, you know, they're just like everybody else. They just take a little bit more time to do things. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't really know very much about Down syndrome. And I think that that's changing now. Um, people don't, you know, understand that they will learn to read, you know, they, they can learn to manage money. They can get jobs. They, they can live on their own if they're given the right tools and education. And, um, but yeah, I think it's just making people realize that they're really just like everybody else. Um, they just require a little, a little bit more time and a little bit more, what you put into it is what you get out of it is kind of what we're learning with her. That's so, yeah. I mean, that is such a big part of what I have learned just from talking to you three today. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know that. And it's not that I didn't care to know it. I just, I never thought about it. You know, I I haven't had a down syndrome person in my life. Um, but to, to realize that that is true, that changes everything for for the way that I would interact. And, and I liked what Leslie said. She, she said that, um, sort of the best rule of thumb is just to assume that, assume competence, assume that yes. when, that they know more and, and do more that, than you mm-hmm. think they do and, and then go from there. And it's just such valuable education. Yeah. Like there's people in our community who are, 40 years old, they don't have a job, they don't have a place of their own, but anybody can do that, you know, it's just the drive to do it, you know, and I'm just making sure that I'm giving her the tools to be able to do that, to be able to live her own life and, you know, have her, have her own life. Um, I don't want to assume that she's going to live with us because I don't think she will because she loves her independence and she loves being her own person. So, so what does that, what does law syndrome mean to you um, with regard to her being able to be her own person? Yeah. So law syndrome um, is really just, you know, making sure that people are educated and know that these individuals with down syndrome can live, you know, beyond their potential. They can, have their own jobs, they can get married, they can make their own financial decisions, they can make minimum wage, even more than minimum wage if they, they, you know, are deserving of that type of compensation. Um, but it's just really making sure that they're treated just like everybody else and they have the own, they have the rights as everybody else. You know, there's no reason why they can't live alone and they can't get married and they can't make minimum wage and they can't have their own bank account. You know, the government should not be able to take the money away from them. It's their money. They earned it. They work hard. They work harder than every, every, you know, normal person on the earth because they've got to put so many things together, you know, both internally and externally and physically and mentally to be able to do the job that they are given. You know, it just takes so much more of of them to be able to do things. And that's why it's just really important for them to be able to be compensated just like everybody else. Because if they're doing the same job as everyone else, you know, they should deserve to be compensated. So talk a little bit about how 
Isla's health impacted your family and, and how it kind of got you guys on the road to your health and fitness journey? Yeah. So, um, Isla was born with hyper, um, hypothyroidism, which is a slower metabolism. And it's something that we've been managing since she was six years old. I'm sorry. I'm six months old. Um, that's, it's just the slower metabolism. So she'll gain, she'll be heavier than the average person. Um, it's managed right now through medication, but we have to manage it through exercise and physical activity. So we try, we try and, you know, keep her active. And, um, it just kind of hit me one day that, you know, our health, my husband and I, we were making some poor health decisions, whether it be not sleeping right, not eating right, perhaps drinking a little too much. Mm -hmm. Um, so we decided that this was something that we were going to work on together and we wanted to make sure that she was, you know, watching us make the right choices because we needed her to make the right choices for her own health. Um, and it really starts when they're young, you know, yeah, it does learn how to eat right and make the right health choices. So, you know, when she chooses to eat a piece of ham over a cookie, we make a huge deal of it because we want her to know that that's the right choice. Right. Um, so we really just started exercising was our first kind of step. Um, I started walking with my kids started out, they were in the stroller and we were walking one mile. But then we started out at like five miles. And then one day I started doing eight miles with them in the stroller and they loved it. So I was like, you know, like if I can walk eight miles, like maybe I should start running. Started, <laughs> started running and started enjoying it. And then we joined the Y and they were advertising this uh, little triathlon. And I was like, that would be so cool. Like, I really want to do that, but I don't know how to swim. So then I started taking swim lessons and I was like, yeah, like I'm going to learn to swim and I'm going to do that triathlon. So I chickened out the first year and then I decided the next year I was going to do it. So I started taking spin classes and I bought a bike, kept swimming. And then I finally got the guts to, to do the race because I wanted a, another example to show my daughter, like, if you work really hard at something, you know, these are the rewards that you get. You get to like do the race and get a medal and, you know, have this community behind you. So I finally did the race and I got the medal and they saw me that day and they were cheering and it was so cute because she really loves, loves to go to races and loves to cheer. So that's awesome. And she thinks you're like a superhero too. <laughs> they do. I and I think they do. Like it's just yeah. even, even my kids, I don't know. It's they're watching and they've watched yeah. from such a young age and um, they really do think it's pretty cool. Even if yeah. like my son who maybe won't admit it anymore because he's getting to that age where mom's like totally not cool to be around, but he's, he's still, they just watch and it's really cool to see. They do get it. And this uh, past weekend, my husband ran his first marathon and Isla came up to him afterwards and she said, no daddy, you worked really hard and you did great. And I'm so proud of you. Aww. So like, She's eight and she has delays and, and she gets it. Like she really does get it. She yeah. really does get what hard work gets you. So that's awesome. So what is day-to-day -day life like? Is it, is it like any other family with kids and laundry and <laughs> bills? And, yes. Yes. Just the same. Yes. It's just like any other family. Uh, and is that you know, important some... to you as far as it is? Yeah. It's very important to me. Um, I think sometimes, 
um, you know, I kind of get into this place where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, I have to do this, this, and this, and I have to take new therapy and I need to meet with this doctor and I have to do this. But it's like, I have to like reel myself back in and be like, everybody has this type of schedule. Everybody has these challenges. It's not just you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like our days are just like everybody else. We're going to dance and we're going to swim lessons and we're picking them up from school. And, you know, it's just, I think the only difference is that I have a really strong, solid community that I can like lean on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I love Michelle and Leslie so much, because if I have a really bad Down syndrome day, we call it like, oh, I'll like text them and say, this is what happened today. And I was so frustrated. Or if I have a really bad training day, I can do the same thing. Like I remember when I was training for Mantra Blonde, I would text Michelle and just be like, my coach wants me to do this. And he wants me to hit these numbers, but I'm so tired because, you know, we've been working really hard with Isla and, you know, they just, they get it. So. So when you say a bad Down syndrome day, just (laughs) (laughs) what's an example? So an example of that is like if you go to a park and, you know, somebody is staring at your kid, whether it be because they don't really know why your child is delayed or they don't understand or it could just be because they know someone with Down syndrome and they're too embarrassed to ask you a question, you know, like, yeah, um, or just like, a, a you know, she's, she's very stubborn, you know, she doesn't want to do certain things or like any eight year old girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it it could also be like a bad doctor's appointment where, you know, we find out that, you know, she needs more blood work and she has to go see this specialist, but those are what we call bad down syndrome days. But you know, the good ones definitely outweigh the bad. So how does your mama bear handle like a playground situation? Like for Uh, me, I just don't, you know, God gives you what you can handle. And I feel like God was like, you cannot handle that kind of situation, Meredith Atwood. (laughs) (laughs) So we will protect all the people in the world because I mean, my mama bear is very strong and I know yours is too, because we've talked about that a little bit, but how, how do you handle that situation? Like, what would you prefer? You know, like if we're trying to educate people that are listening, like, is, does it differ from parent to parent with how parents want their kids treated? Like kind of just talk to me about that a little bit. So I think that everybody wants their kids treated just like everybody else. Um, And the way that I kind of handle it is, you know, I, when something happens, I mean, I really have to, I have a past of being very feisty and I need to dial myself in and really examine the situation and try not to jump to the conclusion that they're being mean, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of times, like if someone is like looking at your child, like, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I've caught myself doing it too. Like we went to a museum and I was like kind of staring at like a little girl with Down syndrome. And it wasn't because obviously because it made me, it didn't make me uncomfortable or I had questions. It was because I didn't know how to approach that person and say, Hey, like I have a little girl with Down syndrome too. Like we have this thing in common, but, um, I try and, you know, uh, look at it as if they're curious. And I remember one time I actually like said something to somebody and I was like, um, do you have 
questions about my daughter. And she was like, actually, I do. She's like, does she have Down syndrome? I said, yeah, she does. And she's like, oh, you know, like I, I know someone who just had a prenatal diagnosis. Like, would you mind if I took your information and got, got in, them in contact with you? And I was like, of course. You yeah. know, so like you never know like what the meaning behind a look is. Like it could, it could be a lot of different things. And yeah. you just, I try not to assume that it's, it's a, it's a bad one. So. And I know like when I see an individual with, with disabilities, like I, I had a, um, lawyer I worked with and she had a relative or someone who was in a wheelchair. And she said that one of the main things that drove her, her relative crazy was when they were out in public, they would always talk to the able-bodied person and like never talk to her. Mm -hmm. And so I always keep that in mind. And then, so when I'm in public and I see someone with a disability or something, I just, I try to, I don't overcompensate, but I, I find that I want to make sure I'm, I'm being inclusive. Yeah. And then so, so sometimes I, I totally stutter with that and then I look like a complete idiot. And then like it happened at an ice cream store, there was a young man who, um, and I, I don't know what his conditions were, but my kids are also very used to be, being inclusive and talking. And so they were all about looking at this kid and then they were going to go talk to him. Mm-hmm. And the parent got all over me before I, I had an opportunity and I'm like, no, 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 we were, we were going to come like talk and be, you know, and it's, it's hard on this side of things too, because, yeah. you know, I don't want to be like the, the awkward, <laughs> the awkward one who <laughs> is like making you uncomfortable. It's, it's really tough. And I wish there was a manual uh, for yeah. us and for you to yeah. know like, okay, friendly looks <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. you know, that's, that's tough. Here's our manual in life, and here's how yeah. to talk to each other. Right. Here's how. I this mean, is that what goes we need. Anyone, doesn't it? We just yes. need like a life manual just for humans. Um, yes. Yeah. So very good. Um. So talk about. Let's talk about your community a little bit, and and triathlon, and your friends, and how. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um. Well, my my friends don't really participate my my root my friends that I've known for a long time they're a great support system um they're not really in the triathlon community but I've met some great people in the triathlon community who you know I just think that triathletes in general are so like like not that they're more compassionate they just are are so accepting um so like Isla's come to races and everyone just kind of like you know, embraces both my kids because, you know, I think as a triathlete, you have your own kind of sh- struggles that you right. make out with to because move you're on. you're doing three sports instead yes. of one, you're naturally, something's up, right? So we're more Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they get the hard work aspect and they get like overcoming certain things to move right. on and move past your, your limiter. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and uh, I've been lucky enough to, you know, go on social media and, you know, meet some really great people that way. Um, I can't remember. I think I actually met Michelle through your club, uh, Best Try Club Ever, or uh, maybe it was Women for Try. I can't remember. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just been great, you know, that, you know, we can, because I've never met her before and she lives in like Delaware or Maryland. So, um, and I'm in New Jersey. So, it's been great to connect with people that, you know, are all around the country. Well, you need to um, come to Marine Corps in 10 days because apparently Leslie and Michelle are coming. So I had a bib and I got hurt and I had to, uh, you know, transfer my bib. But I, I was going to be there. 
and I just yeah I you have uh, to come play come down and play I know <laughs> I know we just scheduled family pictures that day so I'm Oh, okay. I has okay. <laughs> got a new dress that she's dying to wear. I can't, can't take that away from no, her. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like you can. It doesn't sound like you can. Well, Dory, thank you so much for, for chatting. And, um, I, I look forward to continuing to fo- follow you guys. And, um, I just appreciate the, the time to be educated a little more. Um, you know, I thank consider you myself like a compassionate and inclusive person, but I was totally ignorant about, a lot of, a lot of things about individuals with Down syndrome. So I, I thank you for, for the opportunity to Mm -hmm. educate me and then, you know, all the listeners too. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.